Welcome to Real Estate Real World, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. Com. Now your host, Marguerite Crispillo. Hello, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo, and I'm so glad to be here today to give you another fabulous episode of Real Estate Real World, where we get to talk to all of the amazing people out there, the movers and the shakers who are really actively involved and doing work in the real estate space. So today, we have a very special guest, Mark Walker. Hi, Mark. Hey there. <laughs> Is joining us today from Lexmana investments llc mark is a founder of lexmana investments which focuses on residential and multifamily investments mark was able to go from being a part-time investor with a full-time job in high tech to someone who quit the corporate rat race in pursuit of his passion and now thrives as a multifamily investor so welcome to the show mark well thank you so much i'm really happy and honored to be here thank you so where are you located at I'm out here in Colorado. I live in Longmont, technically, but that's near Boulder. Everyone knows where Boulder's at. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful out there. Well, I live in Northern California, kind of on the way to Tahoe, so we have a little bit of similar uh, landscape, a little bit out there, not quite the same. There we have a lot of go. snow this year, I'll tell you that. Well, that's oh, nice. You must have taken it from us, because yeah, I, I wouldn't so. say it was crazy this year. but. Oh, my goodness. A friend of mine works, uh, runs the, the training division at Mount Rose Ski Resort, and she showed me a picture where they had literally 50 feet of snow at the entrance, 50 feet. Like you can, wow. I can't visualize 50 feet, but when you see it, it's like taller than like a three story building. I think, I, I don't know. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of snow. Wow. Yeah. Insane, insane. So we have a lot of snow this year. So anyway, so tell us how did you even, how did you decide you wanted to invest in real estate? Give us a little background on you, a little history. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2003. And I think 80% of the people that I talk to, at least, uh, that are real estate investors, they have read that book and they were inspired by it. And uh, many of us, that's how we got started. You know, I love that book not only because of uh, it changed the way I thought about money, but um, and it does have a real estate slant, but it also uh, is about entrepreneurism, you know, and I, uh, I've always kind of had that little seed, you know, deep inside of me. And I'd say that it definitely uh, caused that to start to grow uh, as well. And so uh, then in 2004, my wife and I, we bought our first rental property in South Denver. And that's really what started it. Uh, we owned that property for about a year or two. And we self-managed that property. And I'll tell you, there's uh, the reason we self-managed was because we wanted to get that experience. We figured it might help us interface with a, prop, a professional property management company a little better in the future. Um, you know what the key learning was? Hmm. I never want to manage my own property again. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I don't blame you one bit. I don't blame you at all. Yeah, it <laughs> just out your uh, strength, right? Exactly. And, you know, there's some people that are really good at that. I know some people that have always self-managed and they're wildly successful at it and really good at it. But it's just it just has never been me. And so but it was a good experience. But after that, we used professional management for everything after that. Uh, so yeah, we really owned that property for about a year or two. And then, uh, we ended up sitting the next few years out and that was kind of a blessing in disguise because we know what happened. Exactly. We weren't in anything when the market crash or the financial collapse happened. So we were in a really good spot in 2010. I started networking again and I met a general contractor that uh, we ended up partnering to do a couple of scrapes together in real trendy parts of Denver. And when I say scrape, I mean that we bought an old single family home. We scraped that house to the ground and in its place, we raised up uh, a residential duplex on each lot uh, that was three stories and we did a party well agreement. And what that enabled us to do was deed each side of that duplex separately and sell each side off. And each of those projects, we did two of them, they took about 12 to 16 months, you know, uh, for each of the projects. And as the money started to come back out from those projects, that's when I started Luxmana Investments, mm. because uh, I knew I wanted to start building my mailbox money again, with yes. that goal that I had of escaping the rat race of leaving my corporate job and living off of my passive income. And so that's really what started it and how Luxmana came to be. That's interesting. And, and yes, I agree. I think most of us have all read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was a brilliant, brilliant book. And the game was even better. I mean, I sat and played that game yeah. with my kids, you know, and my son, my youngest son now is 20 and he's very much an entrepreneur, you know, very, Fantastic. very entrepreneurial spirit. But even I learned a ton in that game, you know. I used to play Monopoly with my sons, too. And they would always get so irritated. They're like, you always win at Monopoly. I said, well, I got a little bit of experience, <laughs> you know. Sure. It's like Monopoly was the original cash flow game, right? Like, I mean, That's that right. was truly for, for any of us who spent any time uh, playing hours and hours of Monopoly. That's right. But the market, that I mean, you certainly got in and out at the the right time. I mean, 2020 hindsight, I wish, you know, we had all known. And what's funny is when you do know that, you look back, you're like, I, I don't know that any of us were any smarter than anyone else. It's just like, I remember the day, for me, it was August 2005 when, because I sell residential real estate, I put a house on the market and two weeks later, it was still on the market. And I remember thinking, that's weird. I, I think the winds have shifted, you know, <laughs> obviously I had no idea to the capacity that it would shift, but uh, pretty powerful when you look back at that and you're like, oh, how, how can I listen to that voice more? Uh, you know, we don't listen to it enough. Right. And now we know what it looks like too. You know, you, you mentioned that as a, you know, real estate agent, uh, it was as, as the traffic started to slow down, the marketing time took longer, you know, for me, um, uh, if and when, I mean, the market's still really hot right now, at least here in Colorado, but if and when I start to see um, vacancies, vacancy rates increase significantly, that's that'll probably be a, a major signal to me that the, the, the tides are starting to change again. So Well, interesting about what's going on out here, and I'm assuming it might be similar in your market, is 
things have not slowed down. Prices have gone crazy, which we are all, everyone's kind of nervous because the prices are back to where they were about 2005, six, right? So people mm -hmm. all think there's going to be something going on. But honestly, the hardest thing to find right now is a rental. <laughs> Yeah. Like if you want to just rent for, I get people ask me almost every single day, Hey, do you know of any rentals? Do you, like they're getting harder and harder and harder to find. And so that kind of ties into what you have done with a lot of these multifamily. Are you seeing much in the way of vacancies? You know, right now the market remains pretty strong, both um, for the sales side of it, as well as, you know, the rents. It's funny in Colorado, you know, I escaped the rat race in January of 2015. And when I left, I remember it was that springtime that I sat down with my management company and we kind of looked at where rents were going. And I just remember saying to them very vividly, I can't believe that unit would get this that much rent. You know, there's just no way it will possibly go any higher than that. Well, 2016 has come and gone now. And again, they raised rents again, like double digits you know, in terms of percentages, you know, and, and, and that, and again, I just found myself saying, I can't believe that unit is getting that much rent. There's just no way it's going to go any higher. But, you know, here in Colorado, what I have noticed, and, and this is not a hard data point, this is just something that Mark Walker's noticed in his portfolios. I noticed that last year here in Colorado, we have a lot more, a, a lot more of the leases. People are coming in with roommates now. And that's because I, I don't think they'd qualify. They Without, without a roommate, yeah. So I have a, a question for you, actually. Are you seeing or doing anything with Airbnb? You know, I'm not. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, that, that a lot of people that have done that here in Colorado uh, and even some of the local laws and stuff like that, uh, you know, the city statutes and stuff like that have changed. I, you know, I'm reading between the lines, but it seems like maybe there's been a lot of uh, lobbying by some of the large hotel chains and stuff like that, um, because Airbnb has not been subject to some of the same, you know, like uh, occupancy taxes and stuff like that, that, you know, the hotels are, are subject to. And so uh, they've, you know, they've, they've made some changes to that and they put some pretty strict rules um, around that um, in the Denver area. And I, I don't know all of them, you know, uh, you know, in great detail, but I think, I think you can only do it if it's like your personal residence and, uh, you can only do it for a month out of, you know, the year. Uh, there's, there's just different rules around it that they're, they're really trying to shut that down here in Colorado. Yeah. I was just curious how that's starting to affect some of the, because I know, for example, for us, we had, um, we have a guest house on our property and we, uh, had it rented out just on a regular basis. And, the tenant moved out and we're like, Oh, we're just going to see how Airbnb works out, you know, because I can block out a certain, you know, I can block out when I have family and friends. I can, you know, build it on my time. And literally within 30 minutes, I had three people book it. So I was just curious wow. how that's going to start affecting multifamily or, you know, and we're going yeah. down a rabbit hole. So we don't need to talk about that. Cause, but I was just curious if that's, if you're seeing that impact or effect. And so you went from, building a couple duplexes effectively mm -hmm. and dividing those up. And then what happened? Well, so then what I wanted to do, so in 2011, as the money started to come out from those investments, I knew again that my, my goal was to escape the rat race. So I, I had to start building my passive income again. 
And, you know, doing development deals was a lot of fun. You know, I loved playing with Legos as a kid. Yeah. You know, I loved <laughs> to build things, you know, and create, create value and things like that. And so doing those development deals was a lot of fun, but it obviously generates a lot of cash. And you, you obviously get the best um, tax benefits and stuff like that from, you know, having passive income, not to mention I wanted to uh, be able to quit my job someday. So uh, I started buying rental properties with, with, with my cash. And, uh, of course, it was a great time. I mean, the, <clears throat> the market was bottomed out from the financial crisis. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was really great timing. And between 2011 and 2014, I bought um, a modest-sized um, portfolio of, uh, you know, mostly single-family. In late 2013... Uh, December 2013, I bought my first apartment complex. It was a it was a 12 unit apartment complex, and the plan with that one was to originally hold that for about 10 years. You know, I bought in an area that was starting to see some development um, and investment from you know larger institutions and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, this is probably a 10 year hold. Well, fast forward now to January 2015. I have enough passive income. I was able to leave my corporate job. Nice. And uh, shortly after leaving, someone comes along and makes an off-market offer on that 12-unit apartment complex that I was planning on holding for 10 years. So this is about a, about a year and three months in, I decide to sell the 12-unit apartment complex. And I uh, had a very, very nice return on that. And then uh, I ended up um, using that to 1031 into a 64-unit um, apartment complex in Texas. Oh my. And uh, I'll tell you, the 1031 was really interesting because, as you know, there's deadlines around identifying. Yeah. And most importantly, you need to close within 180 days. Right. Um, otherwise, you're, you, know, you can't defer the taxes. Right. I closed on day 180. Oh, that must have been a bit stressful. It was, yeah, it was very stressful. It was by the skin of my teeth. So many things, you know, uh, popped up during the, you know, the whole, you know, process of, you know, being under contract, doing the due diligence and and getting to closing. But, uh, you know, uh, it's really stresses the importance of having the right team of people behind you, uh, that are there to, you know, help ensure, you know, your collective success and, uh, we got it done, but that was really exciting. Uh, and you know, uh, I have not looked back. I have loved, uh, being free from the rat race. Um, and as we talk about, you know, setting up your, uh, you know, my journey has been a lot like playing that game cash flow. Um, or even playing Monopoly, right? I turned my four houses into a big hotel, right? Or in this case, a multifamily property. And I started small. I started doing small deals like you would in cash flow. And I just gradually, you know, built my portfolio to a point where I was able to start doing larger deals. And so even today, as my journey continues, I just strive to do larger and larger deals. How how was it going from, because it sounds like all your original investment properties were there in Colorado near where you lived, right? So you kind of mm -hmm. knew that area and knew that market. Right. How, and, and then where in Texas did you buy? I bought in Irving. 
Uh, okay. It's a. Uh, it's in actually in Dallas County. Yeah, outside of Dallas. Of Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you go from Colorado to Texas, and was that yeah. a scary jump? You know, um, it probably wasn't as scary as it could have been. Um, I had a, uh, a great advantage in the sense that when I left uh, my corporate job, um, I have a cousin who's been a 30-year veteran in multifamily. Uh, he's a successful investor. Uh, he's, been a, he's been a broker, and he also owns a property management company. And he had moved up to Colorado maybe back in like the 2010 or 2011 time frame. And so we had every once in a while we'd get together and, you know, have lunch like maybe every six months. And we'd talk about what we were working on. I'd come and I'd talk about my residential stuff. He'd tell me what was going on with his multifamily stuff. And uh, we'd always swap notes. And, you know, one day I just, you know, he called me and I, and I mentioned, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump out of the corporate job. I'm going to jump the rat race. And he says, well, if you want, you can come job shadow me. Oh, wow. And Great opportunity. it was, you know, and, and up until that point, I have to admit, I hadn't even considered it. You know, it's just, you know, by happenstance that, you know, one thing leads to another. And so when I uh, left my job, I, I just went and I sat in his office and I watched for a few months and, you know, I helped him out at the same time. And I learned how the really big stuff goes down. I mean, he, he won't touch anything less than about 150 units. Uh, and, you know, most of his transactions are 200, 300 units at a time. And so it was, and, and, and he owns the management company in Texas, and mm, nice. so I, you know, through that, um, you know, relationship and sitting in the office and seeing, you know, uh, things that were going on with his division down in Texas, that's how I found out about the property in Irving. And, oh, and that's what okay. led to that. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I was in uh, San Diego last week and I was down in Coronado Island and Mm-hmm. I remember looking across the bay at all the huge buildings in San Diego and I was sitting out there and I was like, who owns that building? Like when you look at these right. skyscrapers that are, you know, 40 stories or 100 stories high and you think, who right. owns that building? <laughs> you know, and how, yeah. did they, how did they get there? You know, and it's really baby steps, like you said, right? It's yes. taken one little condo and then turning it into a single family and possibly a duplex and right. Baby steps. Exactly. Exactly. That has totally been my journey. And I, I wish too, that I could say that I had this all planned out from the beginning, you know, back in 2003, but it, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, I always had a common goal. My goal was to escape the rat race and, you know, live off of my passive income. So I've always kind of had that as my guide, my, my guiding light, right? But I, I, I wish I could say I had a plan step by step on how I was going to get there, but it wasn't. Instead, what I just did is I just, I, I just took action. You know, I, I, I focused on learning and, you know, I always say never stop learning. Learning leads to action and action leads to success, right? Yeah. And, and, and that is just kind of my guiding principle the whole time. And one thing led to another. And I met this person who introduced me to this person. And because of that, I started thinking about something or inquiring about something that led me to, you know, make one, one other type of investment or, or whatever. It, that's, that's literally, you know, been, it's just, it's just been, you know, been that. So what would you say has been your biggest mistake you've made? 
Oh, oh, I love that question. Boy, have I got a doozy for you. <laughs> uh, so I remember me saying that uh, I owned that, that duplex in South Denver for a year or two. Yeah. And then I sat out the next few years. Well, there's a reason that I sat out the next few years. I sold that um, duplex in South Denver with the intent to 1031 exchange it into something else. I had met a developer that had this really great concept. They would go in and they they would develop an entire community of duplexes and they would sell off each individual duplex to uh, individual investors. They also had a division that did property management. Uh, They had a division that specialized in non-owner occupied financing. Another division that was a 1031 intermediary. They had the whole solution. Complete package complete package it would have been great if the people involved were only honest uh, so I had 1031 that money and I used their division as the intermediary and uh, long story short I ended up uh, testifying to the grand jury to help get the indictment oh my goodness I was the second guy they put on the stand at the official trial and that guy, the head, the head guy, was sentenced um, 130 years, oh, and goodness. it was the largest prison sentence ever divvied out in the state of Colorado to that point for fraud. So it wasn't wow. just me; it was a very large number of people that were taken. Uh, and fortunately, I did not invest more than I could afford to lose. But you know, when I look back on that, I call that my PhD in real estate. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I I did lose, you know, some money and I, I walked away with a ton of learnings, specifically around due diligence. Um, if you are ever, my advice to people is, is that if you are ever looking to invest money um, with someone or partner with someone that you have just met, um, hopefully that person's either been introduced to you by someone that you really trust and that has done business with them already and um, I really encourage people to just do a quick background check. You know, no credible person is going to mind if you do a background check. You know, it's, it's oh. interesting that, you know, you say that because, of course, everybody wants to be where you are now, right? So we all get to right. say that and like, oh, you know, how hard can it be? And, and in many ways, we make it sound somewhat easy, although it's not, right? right? So, uh, you know, so we've all been, had that situation where we're up at 1 a.m. and we see those infamous, famous infomercials, right, that tell us how we can make a bazillion dollars and, you know, do nothing. And then as a real estate professional, I get those calls a lot of times, right, <laughs> from right. somebody who, you know, was up at 1 a.m. watching that infomercial and says, I want to buy an investment property now. You know, and how can I do it with no money down and you go find it for me and you do all the work for me and let me just roll in the dough. And so I have to have the other end of that conversation where, okay, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily reality, right? Like, and you don't want to lose more than you can afford to lose. And people just don't think that they're going to lose. And, and tragically, we saw that happen in this last, you know, downturn of what happened in the market. I, have you mm-hmm. seen that movie Big Short? 
I have. Wow. Oh. Eye-opening. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my goodness. I watched that movie. Um, I was actually in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and I watched it on the plane coming home. And the whole time, I was, like, mesmerized by that. Because I lived that. I mean, right. I was, you know, I sold a lot of REOs during that time, too. So I was in the middle of that of that crisis. But yes. anyway, I digress. But the, the reality is, is that you do have to do your due diligence. I mean, I, but uh, the other end, you said you got a PhD. And I love that because honestly, unfortunately, most of us don't learn until we've made a huge, huge mistake right. that cost us something, you know, whether it was money, right. time, resources, you know, people we care about <clears throat> um, is yeah. how we learn. But so how did you how did you really overcome that? How did you not get afraid to do it again? Well, you actually just said the key word, afraid or fear, right? So I'll admit that what I, I struggled with fear a lot after that. You know, so that was like 2005, 2006-ish that all that stuff went down. Uh, and I sat out the next few years. Now, it was a blessing in disguise that mm -hmm. I sat. I ended up sitting out. Right. But I'll tell you, I, I would analyze properties and I would always find some reason to talk myself out of it why it didn't make any sense at all you know uh, and and really at the end of the day it was because I was I was afraid right, right. Uh, so that was something that I had to overcome uh, and uh, it wasn't until 2010 ish that I you know really started to network again and you know uh, you know invest again but that was definitely the biggest challenge that I, that I think I had to overcome. And, you know, um, I'll give a lot of credit to my wife, you know, because, you know, she was with me that entire time and, uh, she's always been an encouragement and, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that she, she wasn't necessarily the, the one saying, Hey, you know, you got to jump back in the game or anything like that. But when I was ready to jump back into the game, she was behind me a hundred percent and, you know, uh, even alongside me as I was continuing to learn and stuff like that. So, you know, that was huge. So when you signed on that next deal after that, did you have like a little mini panic attack for a moment? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really remember. So, yeah. I mean, the fact that I can't remember, pro I'm, I'm sure there was stress, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's all relative too, you know, because, uh, you know, relative to, to today, you know, the size of the deals, you know, are... Are, are are so different but yeah i'm sure i'm sure there you know was that little bit of anxiety thinking okay <laughs> here yeah we go. no kidding here we go <laughs> but, so what's uh so tell me what's next for you like what is what's your next what's next on the horizon you own this 16 unit building in texas you said 64. 64. Oh, way bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's just to gradually continue to do larger and larger deals. And I'll mm -hmm. say that there are some people out there that have a much more full pipeline than I do. Um, I, I, I definitely feel very blessed in the sense that, you know, I, I'm not desperate for a deal. Um, right. I have I have acquisition criteria. I know what a good deal looks like. More importantly, I know what my formula is for unlocking value, right? I know... I can look at a property and I can determine pretty quickly whether or not there's some value there that I can unlock, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's really competitive right now. You know, the market's a little hot. Um, if the right deal comes along, I will absolutely do it. I'm looking for bigger deals, um, something closer to 100 units, um, you know, uh, give or take. But, uh, you know, I might have that deal right now. Um, 
you know, about this close to, you know, getting a agreed to LOI, but, um, you know, I don't have to have a deal, you right. know, and, and that's a good feeling, right? Um, especially in a market like this. And, you know, you, you mentioned it too, you know, this is, this is, this is a tough business. Um, you know, you, uh, it's not, it's not necessarily like those infomercials, you know, right. that we, we see. And, you know, I, I just, um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very cautious in a time like this right now, just, just given the strength of the market and stuff like that. I, the, the number of people that I see jumping into the market and what I see them paying for it, yeah. you know, I, I get knocked out by a lot of people that are willing to pay more. And that means that, you know, they, they either have a different formula for success than I do. You know, they have, they have a different way of unlocking value than the way I'm looking at it. Or, or, or maybe they are just paying too much. So, right. you know, only time will tell. So. so now that you're out of the rat race and your day-to-day job, so to speak, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you do all day? What oh, do you do with your time? I have a five-year-old daughter, and uh, it is such a wonderful time. Uh, she thinks I walk on water, which is amazing. You know? <laughs> uh, Kids are the she, best. They, they are, and she's got her daddy wrapped around her little finger. Uh, which is really cool. So I spent a lot of time with her. Um, you know, I still, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I spend, you know, a few hours a week working on stuff. You know, I still analyze a lot of deals. You know, like I said, my, my pipeline is, is not as full as it could be, but, but I'm moving at, you know, my own pace and I'm enjoying life, you know, and, um, you know, so, so it's good, you know, life is pretty laid back and, um, you know, it's just, it's just nice, uh, you know, uh, setting my own schedule and, you know, like I said, if I find a great deal, if I find a deal, that's great because, you know, I do get bored a little bit sometimes, but at the same time too, um, you know, I don't have to do a deal. I can just enjoy that time with my family and my daughter. You know, my friend Dean Jackson says he knows when he's successful, when he doesn't ever look at his watch. (laughs) There you go. He doesn't have an alarm clock, right? He doesn't need to know what, he doesn't have anywhere to be, right? And he's going to just get up and go and do as he wants to every day, which I think is a dream of most people. I, I do. I like that a lot. You know, I, I'm, I'm like that uptight type person too, you know? So, you know, that, that makes me think, you know, I, I think I need to get there still, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Relax a little bit, right? Yeah, life's, exactly. life's what happens when we're busy planning. Is That's one of my right. Favorite That's right. I like that well, a lot. as we wrap up today, I know that you have a free gift for us, so and for yeah. our listeners. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I have a free gift um, on my website uh, that you can go grab. It's called Ten Not So Obvious Ways to Boost Your Multifamily Property NOI. Okay. And whether or not you are a multifamily investor today or someday aspire to be, there's even some things in here that you might even be able to apply to, you know, single-family homes as well. Um, but one of the things I love about multifamily is uh, the uh, value-add component or uh, what we sometimes refer to as forced depreciation. A commercial property like that is value, valued based on its income. So if you're able to raise the income, the net operating income of a property, then that, that, that property is going to be worth more. And I talk more about that in this, uh, this guide that I've written. But I share 10 things that I've kind of learned, learned along, along the way. They're less than obvious, uh, but uh, ways where you can increase your income and decrease your expenses. 
and uh, and drive the value of your property. So you can get that by going to www.luxmana.com forward slash real world. Awesome. That's fantastic. And we'll be sure to have a link to that as well on our website at realestaterealworld.com and in the show notes for the podcast here. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for spending some time with us today. Delightful conversation and fascinating. Well, By I wish you a ton of success and, and uh, hopefully fewer and fewer mistakes, right? Like all of us. That's make. right. That's right. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. It was really an honor to be here and I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody, that wraps up another great episode of Real Estate Real World. Please head on over to iTunes and subscribe. And of course, we love your great reviews. They help boost our ratings up on the show. So take a moment and give us a great review and let us know if any other guests you would love to hear on Real Estate Real World. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. Go out and make it a great day. Thank you for joining us today on Real Estate Real World, where we talk with masters and leaders in real estate and beyond on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes and hot topics on what's going on right now in our real estate industry, hop on over to www realestaterealworld.com and add your name to our email. Thanks again for listening and go out there. Be a part of the elite masterclass in raising the bar on the real estate industry.